Bouge. Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. Welcome, welcome, guys, to episode 133 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, brought to you by Funk27, discontent providers. Uh, check out the website. Uh, it's got blogs and podcasts to keep you laughing like a drain in a dark time. Um, as always, a big shout out and a loving, impassioned scream of reciprocal love to the Patreon backers who continue to support the show. Uh, and who in turn get exclusive invites to the live shows like the one that we're doing in February in Soho. That's me, Super Tansky, Danny fucking Price, Jolly on Rubenstein and a couple of others yet to be confirmed. Um, but that's happening on Friday, the 10th of February in Soho. And ticket information for that will go out to the Patreons first, along with some VIP stuff also. Um, I should probably mention also you get uh, episodes of the podcast two days ahead of everyone else. You get invited to the in-person meetups like the one we just did in Brick Lane four weeks ago. Uh, and we have a private members Discord chat now for Patreons too. So uh, if you are enjoying the show, don't be a stranger. Jump on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson with an I-N on the end. Guys, my guest tonight, super excited to get an hour of his time. Uh, I interviewed him a few years ago for a documentary that I was doing about the London open mic comedy circuit. Um, we both sort of came up in that world around the same time, although he leapfrogged a lot of it by exploding onto social media with his character Dapper Laughs. Uh, he exploited social media in a way that I hadn't seen before, or to be honest, since, really. Uh, he went from six-second videos on the defunct social network Vine to selling out London venues, a song in the charts, a TV show, and so on. Anyway, tonight he's joining me for a catch-up uh, and also to discuss his move into shining a light on men's mental health through his new initiative, Men and Their Emotions, or MATE. Please welcome to the show, Daniel O'Reilly. Woo! Yeah. How's it going, man? Good. It's great to talk, Chell. We're... um. We're familiar faces. It's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? We look older now, but Do you we, think? Uh, <laughs> we're, my heart's we're, breaking inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, um, yeah, we knew each other. Um, yeah, we knew each other from the open mic night from back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah, a little bit of context on that. So I used to do, uh, I used to gig like two, three, four nights a week. Um, yeah. Dan used to run. I forget the name of your night now. You brand, did it was brand spanking comedy. That's right. Uh, and you did one in Clapham at the Jantry. One in one in Chelsea. Yeah, that's right. Ever the, ever the entrepreneur. We were um, we had two nights. They were competitions. Some nights and normal ones. And I also done that hundred comedians in one night. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Um. So that was at the Clapham Grand, right? And yeah, it was just it social was, media. Yeah. Yeah, and that was sort of like a TV show, right? Like you were fil filming it for a pilot or something. I filmed it. For, oh shit! Yeah, I still got that. Yeah. I, feel, I filmed it for a pilot. Um, one hundred comedians, one joke each, one winner, uh, and had a bit of a joke off at the end. And um, well, one minute each. One hundred comedians, one minute each. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was fucking. I can't believe I done that. I was only young, 
Yeah. Very, very um, enthusiastic. This is the thing, man. Like, I think a lot of people, when when they're familiar with your background, they think that you just had a phone, you made a few silly videos, and then you just exploded. But my, and I'm not here to butt your arse, right? But my uh, perception of you was that you were very entrepreneurial. You were all about running your own nights, filming these pilots, trying to get stuff running, like really trying to run it yourself. Um, yeah, it was almost like the Vine stuff was kind of like your side gig that accidentally blew up. Is how it felt to me. Yeah, I think like I was I, I was away for so long working on cruise ships, um, doing like family friendly entertainment and the holiday parks and stuff like that. I spent years cruising around the world that I felt like I'd been left behind a little bit by the time. I mean, I was only young, 23, 24, 25 maybe. But, I've, but when I got back, I was like. I need to catch up. I need to fucking become part of the scene and da, 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 da. So I was raring to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, feels like a lifetime ago now. It wasn't even that long uh, ago. Right. Mm. Um, maybe you could take us back like to that sort of rise to fame. Uh, yeah. Cause some people will be watching this and they'll be like, Oh, I know. I fucking know that guy like off Instagram. Right. He makes some yeah. you know, funny videos or the, like the Snapchat stuff that you did. Um, but they might not be familiar with like how you kind of exploded into popular culture, if you like. So yeah. Can you take us back, like how that happened? Well, I I was um, I, 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 long story short, really. I I, I kind of went the wrong way around. I always wanted to be an actor, so I done performing arts in in college, um, and I done musical theatre. Uh, done a lot of acting, a lot of stage acting, and I wanted to be an actor. But my parents um, broke up when I was young, and my mum moved away. When I was about 15, I actually moved out when I was quite young um, and I had to work. So I was working to pay rent from a young age as well as going to college and stuff like that. And I never really had time to to experience the open mic circuit from a young age. I've done a couple of pub, pub gigs, but I found out a way that I could live, have my rent paid for, have everything paid for and perform on stage, albeit game shows and stuff like that. And it was to go and work in holiday parks or or to get it, you know, I went over to Cyprus and I worked all of the um, all-inclusive hotels over there doing game shows and that got spotted, went on the cruise ships and then that was me from about 18 till about 23, 24. Then when I come back, I've always been into business and um, wanted to make money. So I had my own estate agency for a while and that's really when I discovered, I mean, I was doing my open, I was doing my comedy nights because I wanted to make money and I wanted to perform. And I'd only just found out really about the comedy circuit and the comedy collective and all of that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Getting booked was just a stress and getting on. It was like catch 22. If you didn't have, if you didn't, if you weren't known or you didn't have a strong five minutes, you couldn't get on and get a strong five minutes. Do you know what I mean? Or certainly couldn't get paid gigs until, well, it's just near enough impossible until you were well known. So I created my own comedy nights and um, in between that managed my business and then when social media came along, it just sort of cured everything for me because I could I could have my passion and had the need to create to create a right comedy um, and get a reaction from it quench straight away just just on the phone, you know. Instead of all that mad, in fact, I know now I didn't know then, but I had ADHD. I've got ADHD. I've got severe ADHD, and the ideas and the jokes were flying around my head constantly and. Um, the only time I could get them out was when I was on stage, which was once or twice a week. Uh, but suddenly, I, I, in, in the palm of my hands, I could fucking do it every hour. And then that was it. It was I was gone. And then, so then when you kind of started exploring the social media stuff, I might come back to the ADHD thing in a minute, actually. Yeah, no problem. Um, but when you started exploring the social media stuff, did that then 
like what happened to your comedy night was it then like sold out packed out did it just no i think no the 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 comedy night was a was a steady form of revenue for me i think i was making about 250 pound a week which is massive in the comedy world back then yeah yeah (laughs) um uh but i also ran my own business as well um but when the social media stuff started blowing up, I, I, I sold my, my stake in that business to my business partner and I stopped doing the comedy nights and I just solely focused on, um, I could see it was a marketing tool straight away before, I think quite early on, everyone was worried about growing on the, on these platforms on Vine and that. But I was thinking to myself, how, how can you generate revenue out of these platforms? How can you, you know, I've got 10,000. I remember when I hit 10,000 on, on the, on the, I got, like across all social media platforms now it's about five million but back yeah. then ten thousand to me i was like how the fuck can i get quid out of every single one of these people impossible yeah um but but that was before my passion really sort of set in for for social media comedy the the power of viral comedy and being able to um say what you wanted to say and and create that's before my mind really opened up to it, to creating characters and stuff. And um, yeah, I just, just kept growing and growing and growing. And then I was like, right, let's see that, you know, moved it on the Facebook, hit a million on Facebook. And and then I said, right, let's see how we can turn this into, into live work, but on a bigger scale. And it's all about leaps. Yeah. You know, let's, let's book something massive and let's leap in and see if it sells. And and it did. And it's, it's been the same since just leaping, leaping, leaping. And yeah, it works. Are you still doing live shows now then? Are you doing like, like, because when I saw you, you were at, I think it was Angel Academy. Yeah. Doing some stuff there. That was pretty wild. But I don't yeah. know. Like, are you still doing stand-up at all now? Or? Yeah, I am. I'll show you. I've got a, uh, I've got, where's my, um, I've got, I've got me posters here. Some, I've got me posters from me last one here somewhere. I've got them all over the wall just to fucking massage me ego. But yeah. the, uh, I've done the Indigo at the O2 only a matter of months ago. Only cool. about three months ago. We sold that out uh, before. Um, last year, I've done the Troxy. Um, so what I'm doing, I, I mean, it's, I feel like it's cheating in a way it's cheating in a way, but instead of, um, when I fell out with the comedians and, and the comedy scene, when yeah. 25, 25 comedians signed that open letter to get me canceled. Um, I just really didn't feel like I fit in anymore on the comedy circuit. Yeah. I was never yeah. booked for panel shows. Um, I, I just felt like the comedians, I mean, comedians really turned against me real hard when I got Do you think, is, is that a sort of common theme then? So like when you, when you were first starting on the open mic circuit, you said you felt a little bit like it was chicken and egg, like it was difficult to get a paid slot. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't necessarily get booked until you had a tried and tested five, 10 or 15 yeah. and so on. And so then you did your own thing. And now yeah. in a similar way, you're saying you sort of felt ostracized, but now it's kind of propelled you into having to do. Yeah, your own I shit mean, also. like, yeah, I mean, where I was going with that is, I, 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 I don't do small gigs at the moment, or I haven't yeah. done for many years. I'll just wait for once or twice a year and do like a two thousand seater and like build, build up, build up the um the fear of missing out online you know i'm going to do this it's one night only you know too hot for tv fucking it's going to be mental you're going to miss it build it up drop it sell it out um but it's cheating in a way for me performing just to my fans do you know what i mean Uh, and i even hate saying fans but i guess now with a social media with a loyal social media following they are because you know it's very similar it's the same people that buy my music that um, download my films or uh, buy my films that um you know, 
come to the shows, that watch the videos, that comment, that share. They're coming. And to me, it's, you know, I know what they like. So I miss doing the comedy. I miss the fear of the, like the risk night. that you might the risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you not, that's, that's fucking ballsy. Like speaking as, as a comedian, the idea that you would just go out and do, like, do you not do warm up gigs or like test material? Never. never. Really? No. You're I, fucking I nuts. Listen, I don't know if it's gonna. I don't know if it's gonna work until I'm saying it, and it doesn't always work. And I think, uh, but but the beauty of it is, I'm honest. I'm honest with it. I say to them, you know, none of this. I don't know what's going to happen. None of this. Uh, but my 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 best skill, I, I believe, one of my fundamental talents is audience interaction work and improv. It's got me in a lot of trouble before, but um, but yeah, I think next year is going to be different because I've I've recently just been booked actually for um for a well-known comedy night for the first time ever and actually i won't mention what it is but i've also been booked for a like a panel show as well um and i don't know why all of a sudden uh, these things are happening or i'm getting off of them because for many many years i haven't so i think next year i'm going to try and maybe come out of my comfort zone and do some old school comedy nights yeah 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 it could be that you are like a sort of um maybe this is a clumsy parallel to draw right but uh if you think back to like so craig david yeah, uh, <laughs> right. Amazing singer, super talented, good writer. Uh, chicks fancied him. Great. And then there was that whole sort of Bo Selector period and it fucking decimated his career. Yeah. Pushed to the side. And then there was this sort of second coming, if you like. Yeah. Uh, where people were like, fucking hell, I forgot Craig David's awesome. Like, And he was back doing DJ sets, live shows, headlining, new album out. Yeah. And I think people really like a sort of, you know, a story of. I guess yeah, redemption's the wrong word. Cause... I think I think I'm less of a knobhead. I'm less of a twat now than I was. I'm, I was I, before back in the day. I was purposely doing really controversial stuff because it was growing. It was it was growing. It was growing me. And I'm a, I'm a different I'm a different person now. You know, from when I was younger, I was a right knobhead. I, I took a lot of risks and I didn't really care about the consequences. Um, but uh, also, I think that cancel culture, um, the backlash on it now is more popular than maybe the. Maybe, you know, like there's, you know, you've got people that are still whinging and moaning about comedy, but people think that they're the problem now a little bit more than... than Yeah, know. I was going to ask you, like, how you think comedy's changed. And I feel like such an old bastard saying that, like, because yeah. it's not even that long ago since I was doing it. But it does feel like whether we're talking the advent of moving away from stand-up comedy into online comedy, like yeah. like cheating, like is what you refer to it as... Um, or if we're talking about moving outside of the era where material was a bit risky into the era where people are kind of getting, yeah, you say cancelled, I, I would see it more as sort of like the consequence. <laughs> yeah, of, I think, I don't know. My, I, I've got to be honest when I talk about this stuff because my view on it has changed over the years drastically. I used to be a firm believer that comedy was ruined, that, hold on a second, my dog is trying to get in. Uh, Dora, can you get Doris away? She's trying to get through the door. Go on, get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, just to start that bit again. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm a firm believer. Like my view on it has changed drastically over the years. I used to think that comedy was ruined. I used to think that you know you can't get away with anything, and things are you know everything that you say is going to piss someone off. So you know, blah, blah, blah. but the truth of the matter is, like Ricky Gervais says, like you know, it's. You, you know, he doesn't censor himself at all. And he's probably the, one of the largest comedians on the planet. Do you know what mm. I mean? Ricky, um, Jimmy Carr doesn't censor himself. 
um, you know, all of these sort of massive comedians, they, it's a load of bullshit. The only time that, and I learned this the hard way, the only time that it's a problem is if your revenue streams and your business and everything is associated with big brands, big platforms um, that value their reputation over your create, your creative ability, then you're fucked. So, you know, once you, once you lose everything and you're left with social media, as long as you're not promoting hate speech and you're staying within the guidelines, just sanity, basically, you should be able to joke about whatever you want anyway. So it's down to the comedian. I think the tide's turning. And um, I'm very much in the view that, look, you know what I'm like. You know, you know I can push the boundaries. I can cross the line sometimes. That's how I learn. There's stuff that I used to joke about that I wouldn't now. I'm a father with two daughters. So sure. I learned, yeah. uh, you know, I learned a lot about why some things um, upset people. And, but I think it's up to the comedian and it's up to the audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. And it, like, it's an important point to focus on is, is how much people can change over the space of 10 or 15 years. Um, yeah. I mean, I look back at some of the stuff that I like did and said when I was like a 23 year old guy, 25 year old yeah. guy, and I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> like, oh like, my God, don't. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, I, can't, I, I dread to think what's going to happen when, when my daughters are old enough to Google me or YouTube me and they have a look. I mean, yeah. knowing my luck, they'll both be a couple of headstrong um hard feminists like my missus is but the the truth of it is is and i get this a lot now i still get this in the comment section or sometimes you know in dms and stuff like that. oh especially because i know now when when a when a piece of my content online is going viral the abuse starts right, right. the negative reach that threshold and then you're like yeah, right, yeah, here it comes yeah, because when it stays within my um, within my followers on Instagram, my followers on TikTok, when it stays within there, it's all love, it's all funny, it's all everything. When the people start coming in and go, ah, you twat, oh, this guy's still around, I thought he was dead, what's he fucking doing? <laughs> da, da, da. I'm like, oh, right, wicked, it's going viral now. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah. outside of my, it's outside of my thing. And I still get, oh, it's the rape joke comedian. Oh, you're still doing rape jokes, are you? You're still pro-rape, are you? Da, da. And I used to get really upset about it. I used to be like, no, you don't get it. It was taken out of context. It's not right. Um, uh, of course, I'm not pro-rape. Like, what's wrong? And I used to get really upset and angry about it. Now I just think to myself, well, yeah, I said stupid shit when I was younger, man. Did you not? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We all fucking did. Like, I can't, like, I'm over it. It was 2014. It doesn't represent who I am now, what I do now. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dumb shit, loads of dumb shit that I thought was funny back then. Some of it I still find funny now, but I wouldn't say. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, the yeah. You yeah. learn, you grow. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, like we all we all change uh, uh, an un immeasurable amount, like between the ages of I think sort of. I mean, there's there's like bursts, isn't there? So from the age of fourteen to maybe twenty two, you're you're I think sort of broadly the same sort of kid. Yeah. And then from twenty two up to thirty, you get really really obsessed in like your interests. I'm going to be the biggest comedian ever, or I'm going to be a fucking footballer, or. And then yeah, yeah. I, once you get past thirty, you sort of calm down a bit. Hopefully, you're a bit more mature. You find different yeah. things funny think other things are more you know i'm way more focused as i'm sure you are on you know making sure my family's secure making yeah. sure we're not rendered homeless <laughs> yeah than i am about becoming the next chris rock or some shit yeah um, yeah i i think i think like to me before controversy controversy was king and my my, yeah. my once once i got sort of put in that brand and i got put into that bracket of the one of the uk's most controversial social media comedians i was like well this is me you know that's my audience that's who i've got to play to and i was always torn between upsetting people and keeping my following 
engaged. Yeah. Um, now I personally, I don't, I don't care either way. I couldn't, I couldn't give a toss if, if you don't like what I do uh, and, and you want to use it to virtual signal on your platform about whatever fucking thing you're trying to push. If you want to use my name for it, go for it. And on the flip side, like if, if I'm not being brutal enough or if I'm spending too much time doing content about being a dad or about walking my dogs or, and, and you want to, you choose to unfollow me, it's not going to change my life, man. Like I'm, 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 I'm settling into being a grown up. Now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? That's it. It's like, you be you. I'll, I'll be me. I'll do my own thing yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Just, just to sort of come back on something you said a minute ago also that I thought was quite interesting. So when you're talking about sort of receiving some flack and, and the thing that you've got to be careful about is like brands. And if you're, uh, if you're beholden to like a national broadcaster or a sponsor or something, I think that's a really important thing to sort of hammer home to people that if they're, if they're interested in pursuing like a podcast or online content or something, it is so, so much better in, in my humble opinion and like, who the fuck am I? Right. But in my opinion, to just do it yourself, to just yeah. <laughs> stay your own boss so that then when the inevitable flack does come, when somebody does take offense to the thing that you said, you yeah. don't, you, you don't have to fucking answer to anyone. You can just say, yeah, well, you know, if you don't like it. Yeah. I think, I think it's, tr it's really tricky because it, it's hard for me on because uh, uh, I've got so many different things going on that there's always someone that can affect. There's always someone. I'm always attached to something. I mean, even my film release. Do you know what I mean? I raised I raised the money for the for the film myself. We took a play and we rewrote it into a screenplay. Uh, we produced it with um, Terry Stone. But even you can do it all in house, all, all yourself. But no one can see it unless a platform will take it on, like Amazon or Netflix or something like that. And they'll only take it on. They go right, who's in it? And then they go right, who are these people? And then they'll be like, right, are you sure you want to take on Dapper Last? Because you know the press might pick up. Yeah. You know this. And and at the moment there is there's so many levels. I mean, look at what's going on with Balenciaga. Have you have you been watching all of that stuff? No. That's no. Well, there's a, there's a massive thing going on with Balenciaga where they've got an ad campaign that has got um, teddy bears with bondage gear on it, and they've got they've given the teddy bears with bondage gear to kids. I read kids, something about it last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids the kids are holding these teddy bears with bondage gear. I've done a video on it today, and there's a lot of like hidden uh, messages in the advertising about paedophilia and child pornography. And um, being someone in this industry, I know how many levels that that stuff has got to get checked. It's unbelievable uh, for anything. And yeah. I'm just talking about maybe like a small UK company that's using me to advertise their product on my platform. Um, the levels that I have to go through for them to check my language, to check the content, to check the hashtags, to check the caption, to check everything. And this company, so there's a thought process behind all of it. So it is difficult uh, staying true to your comedy form, but also wanting to get paid yeah. by these big companies. I suppose at some point, if you want to make like it's not like there's a there's a punk rock kind of romance to doing it all yourself isn't there that i unashamedly subscribe to with everything i'm just like oh, i'll just do it myself i'll just record it in my cabin that's ah, fine yeah um uh but yeah eventually i guess you're gonna need some money or some finance or support yeah someone, i mean right? yeah i think it, it depends though you, you know if you're generating money i don't know how patreon works how does patreon work they have they got to subscribe then do they yeah they... yeah yeah they go on patreon uh and then they commit to there's like three tiers this is great i get to plug this while i'm talking to you that's uh, great 
yeah, there's three tiers. There's like a three pound, a five pound, and a ten pound, and they can choose like what access, what benefits they get as a result of it. Um, so yeah, I guess if I was like a bit, but then even like so, even that is independent, right? So I can say, oh, I do it all independently, and people who jump on Patreon then support me. But if I said something fucking outrageous, people might take such offense that they contact Patreon and say, this guy said this on your yeah. platform. Yeah, what are you going to do about it, right? Yeah, there's always, there's always. I mean, look at what they've done to Andrew Tate. Um, I mean, it's probably worked in his benefit now, but um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. You've got, you know, in a word, your, your original question was, how do you think comedy's been affected by cancel culture? Yeah, it's been heavily affected. I mean, mm. I can remember going, going and watching, uh, going and watching, um, what's his name? Fucking hell. The one that goes, Alice, Alice, who the fuck is Alice? What's his name? Oh, God. No Chubby idea. Brown. Oh, Chubby yeah, yeah, Brown. yeah, yeah. And I can remember watching Chubby Brown, going and seeing him live. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I found a lot of his stuff hilarious. I mean, the racist stuff, I think, definitely shouldn't fly. Um, but some of the other just ridiculous stuff, you know, about his mother-in-laws and stuff like that. I love it. But now, they'll always... If you've got a joke where you're saying, you know, uh, something about your mother-in-law, you know, like those classic jokes, you know, it would be sexist now. You know, the whole it's funny though, isn't it? Because it's kind of I always wheel out the the idea, the concept of mother-in-law jokes as something like so. Way back in the day, like so, somebody would have got up at the end of a pier in a comedy show and they would have told a joke about their mother-in-law, and yeah. that then would have been shocking. Like the the audience would have gone, "Oh my god, did you hear the shit that he said about his own mother-in-law? Like, what happens if she hears that?" And there's a shock factor to it. People would have laughed, and over time, that became a cliche. Yeah, like a harmless sort of yeah. you know, double act kind. Of, oh, they told some mother-in-law jokes. It's a bit boring, and now it's got to the point where it's almost come like full circle where the most shocking comedians like a Roy Chubby Brown, somebody who's not going to get put onto like, you know, the Royal variety show, something like that. They might well be telling mother-in-law jokes. Yeah. But I mean, listen, you've got, you've got, what you've got to look at is it depends how big you are, man. Like it depends how big you are. Like Ricky Gervais ain't getting cancelled. No, no, you ain't cancelling Ricky Gervais. Do you know what I mean? He's still gonna sell out tours. He's still gonna, he's still gonna do. But if you're an up and coming working class comedian like I was at the time that I was coming up, um, and you make a few mistakes just before you proper fucking break through, mm. um, then you okay. Fuck. Here's here's a loaded question for you. Go on. To what extent do you think the flack that you received? was rooted in classism 100 percent. really I, I mean well i mean it's a mixture some of it I, I was an easy target because i was saying stupid stuff um I, I when i say stupid stuff i mean not just um not just like um stuff that's offensive i mean stupid low-hanging fruit comedy do you know what i mean like very low-hanging fruit um but that that was my brand that's 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 what i that's that's where i was you know and I, at the time i was running around a single young lad partying and chasing girls and stuff like that. So a lot of my comedy came from personal experience and, and what my friends and everyone around me was doing. So that's what I could relate to. But it was considered lad culture, banter and stuff like that, which is considered low-hanging fruit. But it's only really low-hanging fruit if it's coming from a working-class person with the mm. same with an accent. If somebody was Oxford-educated and was talking about the same things... Um, 
or portraying um, a lad culture character like Dapper Laughs. That's interesting. Yeah. If 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 if, if, if they were going, yeah, proper, if they were going, excuse me, sweetheart, can I smell your fanny? No, you can't. Must be your feet then. And that that was a joke. Yeah. And then they go, and then they come off and they go, oh yes, by the way, um, that was a joke that was uh, stereotyping uh, how men go up and talk to you know. If they if after the sketch in real life, if they were, uh, if they didn't have the same accent or that, uh, you know, I think it would have been, you know, oh right, he's clearly intelligent enough to be being ironic. But I wasn't intelligent enough to be ironic with Dapper Laughs because I'm working class. Yeah, that's really so. This this couple of interesting things in there, I just want to pick up on. So the first one is. The, just the pure classist element. So if you were a Jimmy Carr, who I think went to Cambridge, uh, or a David Mitchell, although I can't imagine David Mitchell doing that kind of material, but if you were someone with that kind of cut glass accent um, and you did a joke along those lines, I think you're right. I think the audience would be more forgiving. Uh, in fact, I don't think the audience even would just be more forgiving. I think producers would be more forgiving and be like, well, no, I like that guy. Course. Let's hire yeah. him. But the, the second yeah. thing to just pick up on is, yes, you're right. So if you look at somebody like Lee Nelson, right, is a character that is uh, done by Simon Brodkin, I think. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his surname yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now he is a highly educated guy who used to be a doctor who yeah. then went out into the comedy circuit and portrayed a working class guy called Lee Nelson. And but, got away with murder. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Uh, but because he's seen, he fits exactly into that bracket that you're talking about, where it's, a, you know, a, an educated person who portrays a working yeah. class person who says some, you know, off colour stuff. Um, and yeah, you're right. He's absolutely forgiven. Yeah. And, 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 I, I, you know, and you've got you've got the same with Sasha Baron Cohen. Look at Ali G. Yeah. Ali G was at was peak peak time Channel Four. Uh, the fucking set that he walked out of was a woman's legs bent over. Do you know what I mean? And it was all all about shagging pussy. About it was all it was worse. So much what, worse. What, here's, here's another question for you. What do you think would have happened to you if you had filmed a skit where you were going down on the Queen with a shaven muff like Ali G did? Jesus Christ! Imagine, <laughs> imagine. I probably I reckon someone would have hunted me down and killed me. I mean. It's, it's, it's insane, but I mean, like, I always, uh, at the beginning, when, when, I mean, this is true as well, I, be, I, I went into the offices at ITV2, and I spoke to the producers when uh, when the flak was kicking off, and the, the, you know, the Guardian was doing, the Guardian done a piece saying that my show was an almanac for rape culture, mm. um, and there was all these, all the comedians were kicking off, and they were like, yeah, it's good, you know, any press is good press, but they soon changed their, their opinion when, when the uh, the signatures started coming in on on people signing to to get me banned, and but to me at the beginning I was like, well, this is fantastic. Like they're really buying this character, they're mm -hmm. really buying it. And then you know, and it's their fault if they're not intelligent to understand that I'm pushing the boundaries with this to stereotype lag humour. Um, but then it just turned out that they thought that I was a threat, and they and they thought that I wasn't intelligent. They thought that I was just walking around with my phone filming people yeah. they, didn't, they didn't think it was sketches um i always thought there's there's a really interesting conversation to have around this and i've discussed it with my girlfriend at length um and we're both broadly of the same take if you like so i guess i guess the problem is or was that a and again not intentionally buttering your ass here but for for a guy who is a uh, traditionally good-looking chap such as yourself who who has filmed himself 
like talk going up to women in the street saying funny stuff they respond well to it or they you know they laugh or giggle um then there's going to be a whole subset of men out there who are let's say not quite so easy on the eye who then (laughs) who then interpret that as oh fuck so that's so women like that i should go and do that so then they go up there start hassling women in the street and you can kind of bring that back to you so Mm. there's this sort of responsibility maybe on you as a younger man to go oh hang on a second like if they're trying to do what i do that's not cool so yeah that's that that's where my that's where my problem lies Mm. you know that's where my but at the time i was far too up my own ass with my own fame and i was far too naive and also i was going out chatting up birds at the time i didn't see it as risky behavior i had no knowledge uh, you know i was 15 years old i'd moved out i'd hung i'd grown up with my friends do you know Mm. what i mean um my you know I had no idea that sexual harassment was so rife. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that um, sexual violence was such a big thing. And I learned publicly about yeah. it. I even went on shows um, and done interviews with feminists and stuff like that and learned and, you know, and much to my, much to my discredit though, much to my, you know, going on and saying, well, teach me, I want to know more. And then, and then the headlines being dapper last thinks we should teach him not to rape. You know, I saw that. Yeah. 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 It was, it was horrific. I was like, you know, I was trying, what I was trying to say is I wasn't, I I never, I never wanted to, I, you know, I've always been in the view, you know, I don't know everything I'm I'm willing to learn and got fuck me through my twenties going through that up to my early thirties. I learned so much about feminism, rape culture, uh, misogyny. I had to, it was drilled into me, but yeah, in enough time to have two daughters. Do you know what I mean? But they, at the time I was so toxic and some of my stuff that was going out was like you say, probably influencing people in the wrong way. No one wanted to hear it really. And because it was so close to getting canceled, people thought I was, you know, just trying to, it's PR. Yeah. I think that's it. I think once you go over that bell curve of where you are effectively a mascot for seeing like for for when people are having that conversation and it was like, that was when, those stories and those experiences that women were going through were that like it was first kind of bubbling up or at least that's in in terms of popular culture and people saying this is what men do to us this is how they treat us this is not on like what can we do to fix this and it was just at that same time like right in that zeitgeist that i think you became the mascot yeah i mean Um, i I definitely dapper last definitely was in an old way of thinking the character and the you know the you know, those sexual jokes, those sexually charged jokes and stuff like that, I would never do now. I'd, you know, and not out of fear of being cancelled, just out of cringing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Out of just cringing. But saying that again, Dapper Last was meant to, you were meant to, you were meant to cringe at him. Do you know what I mean? It was, yeah. he was never meant to turn into a poster boy for lads. But I think through, through the, through the fashion of, of social media blowing up, he became popular for maybe, for the wrong reasons, do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah, my yeah. comedy mind wanted it to be, my comedy mind wanted it to be ironic, um, but it just he just turned into a lad's lad, do you know what I mean? Through yeah, social media, it, it became maybe very much what what was wrong with society. Looking back on it back then, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 talk a bit about your sort of more current work because um, I'm keen that we get the message out there for it. Um, and this is a, a good juncture to to come from, I guess, because so much of your 
historic content was around that kind of laddish comedy yeah. space. And now you're actually like kind of pivoting, right? You're going into kind of mental health for men, yeah. getting us to talk more about our emotions, be a bit more open about things. And that's quite a departure, isn't it? Like you've come a long way in that in that time. Yeah. Could you could you talk us through a bit about the work that you're doing? Yeah, well, I think everything that I do on my social media, I mean, I'm doing my stories constantly. So my stories is like a documentary of my life constantly. And everything everything from my characters that I create to my um, stories that I do to my sketches that I make to my everything to do with comedy is a reflection of what's going on in my life. And I've been battling addiction for many, many years. Um, I, I didn't know that I was an alcoholic uh, well, I didn't think I was an alcoholic because um, I'd just get smashed on the weekends every weekend. Do you know what I mean? Right. Maybe once, once or twice in the week, and then I get smashed every weekend. Um, and then drugs come into play with with my life. It's definitely part of the culture, especially lad culture. Uh, cocaine, a bag of gear, packet, and all that. And it then it then was like you know I'd be drinking two or three times a week, but I'd be drinking and having a session, getting on the packet every weekend. Right. Um, and uh, that went on fucking my whole life. It's been it's been going on. And through that, losing my career, um, being publicly shamed, my father passing away, becoming a dad and everything. There was a lot of depression that sunk into my life, a lot of anxiety that was that I now realize was fueled by alcoholism, addiction, drug use, drug abuse. And I've tried to come out of it last year, done six months sober, um, fell back into it. I'm 40 days, uh, no, 49 days today, 49, 50 days tomorrow, clean and sober um, after a massive fallout uh, in my life, you know, a big relapse. And I realize now that what I'm going, what I've been going through has a massive part to play in um feeling suicidal before being depressed, being anxious, being down, you know, I don't, I don't think feel like I've got mental health issues now that I'm sober and alcoholism was, was, was a massive part of them being bad. And I think that what I, if this is what I'm living and I'm experiencing it, millions of other people out there must be as well. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was my thinking on it. You know, this platform can't all be about me, you know, and I think that there comes a certain amount of, um, you know, I, I like being proud of myself basically for, for opening, opening up about these things on my social media. And I, I feel proud when people come back and go, fuck me, mate, that's what I'm doing. That's what's happening to me. And that has just snowballed into a massive, uh, um, a, a massive platform that men and their emotions, 25,000 men on there that every day are submitting what they're going through. I'm okay in it. And then people are talking. Uh, and I, I it, personally, for me, it's, it's, just, it's like therapy for me talking about what I'm going for on my social media platform, getting the response back and people saying, fuck me, I'm not alone and doing some cheesy fucking um, videos about how I'm feeling and what I'm going through. They take the piss out of me, but also there's a certain amount of people on there that are going, thank you. I needed to hear that. So it just works both ways for me. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of depressing that it is so refreshing, isn't it? To hear yeah. men talking about what they're going through, but I guess that's sort of the point isn't it yeah. it's like we do need to be more open about stuff you don't need to be quite so ashamed about what you're going through or that it's hurting or um do you ever because you're like a comedian by trade right mm. is it hard for you to not like like weave in 
piss takey humor in there somewhere? Yeah, I do. I do. I think you know my from like one of my biggest characters. One of my biggest characters I've got. We just sold loads of merchandise on it. I've got little figures of it and fucking look. I've got this this artist come and made this for me on him. His name's the Sesh Gremlin. I don't know if you've seen him. <laughs> the, the Sesh, Sesh Gremlin. Gremlin. And he's like, it's a face and it's one of these Snapchat filters and it's got a cone on his head. And yeah. I used to do videos every Friday where I'd be, I'd be talking like, you know, the missus would be like, you know, um, don't forget it's Friday. And then the character would appear and be like, ah, it's Friday. Let's get on the fucking packet and go crazy. Yeah. And uh, my yeah. missus, my, and then it would cut to my missus standing in front of me and I'm going, no, no, like in front of her. And then I'll say something stupid, like she'll, be, she'll have some flour and she'll be baking a cake. And he'll be like, that's not flour. Put it on her tits and snip it off. And I'll do it. And then she'll slap me. Um, so for me, there, there is always elements of what I'm going through. Drinks, whatever, comedy and yeah. session, my mental health, depression. Uh, it's all part of it all mixes in together, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to find the funny in it. Like, even though there, there will be times, I'm sure, where you'll get a, like more flack from people and they'll say, look, this is a serious issue. This is depression. Yeah. This is anxiety or whatever. Uh, you shouldn't be joking about this. But like my personal feel is that you have to find the funny in shit because that's yeah. what makes it digestible to people. Then they're like, yeah. oh, I didn't feel like I talk about that or I didn't think we could joke about that. But you made it accessible. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, where do you think this might head then for you? Have you got any sort of overall goal for it? Well, gonna, of... the reason why I was asking you about Patreon is because um, I have, I've started filming a podcast myself. Um, it's called Menace to Sobriety. Um, just simply really to keep me on the right track because, because of my ADHD, unless I fucking consume myself in projects, um, I can easily be distracted and come off. So... You know, that's why like, a lot of my business partners, you know, I have a lot. Of, I've got a nightclub. I've got, uh, you know, I had a beer brand. I was selling beer. I've got a nightclub. I fucking, um, you know, I was meant to be doing shows for the football down at the O2. And, you yeah. know, a lot of a lot of these a lot of these people are like, why are you screaming and shouting about being sober? No one's going to want to come and have a beer, beer with you if you're doing these doing this. And I'm like, look, I've got to live it. Otherwise, I can't do it. Do you know what I mean? So. I've got my sobriety podcast where I'm simply going to be interviewing people, every normal everyday people and celebrities that uh, are on a sobriety journey and giving hints and tips and, and, you know, for people to see what they're going through and, and really to align mental health issues with their substance abuse, because it's a massive thing. Um, and yeah, just keep growing that group and keeping people talking. And then I'm, I've got a film production company and we're starting to make films, man. And, and that's really blowing up for me. So I've got a project, three projects next year that I'm sort of putting on a slate. Uh, one's a documentary, one's a, a film and the other is like a, a TV series, all mental health based. So I'm going to try and raise finance for a few of them, three of them. I, I, what I want to do with next year, I mean, obviously I've got to make money, but what I want to do next year is <clears throat> dedicate a year to mental health out of yeah. everything that I've done. Because everything I've done really has been all about me, um, you know, my, rebuilding my career, my my shows, my tours, my businesses, getting money and everything like that. Next year, I want to just work out what I need to earn to to survive, and then I want to just, even if it's just for a year, just put everything into mental health uh, and addiction and um, see what that does for me. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think it will make you feel like a million bucks to be honest i mean yeah that's what i think yeah like i so i did cbt a few years ago and i studied um psychoanalysis and psychotherapy in my late 20s 
uh, just in like a, a an evening class thing. And I, I read a couple of books on it also where they say like a great sort of natural treatment for depression is like service, which sounds fucking ridiculous. But like if you go out of your way to help people, if you yeah. support people or just ask them if they need a hand or just like help a lady across the road, like oh, it sounds like cliches, right? But if you yeah. just even like obviously the, the example that they put in this book was like just buy yourself three plants and these plants will need you to keep them alive. So if you can just keep the plants alive for like two, three weeks, it's like yeah. you feel that uptick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I yeah. Think I, I think I get that from the men and their emotions group. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing, seeing people, facilitating people, helping people is nice. But in a selfish way as well, I think it's good karma, you know. And I need, to, I need help for things to go. I need help for things to go well for me. You know, I don't. Uh, not not in regards to like financially or career wise. I mean, like with my sobriety, you know, because it's a there's a there's a little switch. There's a fine line, um, and it is all down to how much I value my family and how much I value my missus and how much I value my sanity. But it's also like how much work or how much I care about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it can very easily get muddled, and, and I'll be like, do you know what? I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm having a drink. Yeah, it can it can it can very easily go. It can very easily get there. But the love that I get from people that I'm helping, you're right. It's like it makes me think. Nah, with this sobriety comes that love. So I'm gonna gonna keep doing it. Sure, sure. Uh, Daniel O'Reilly, we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining me um, to to discuss about uh, well about your career and and also about your mental health initiative. Um, If you are not following Daniel, then seek him out. He's on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, Dapper Laughs. Um, And have you got a live show or anything coming up? Nothing at the moment. Nothing at the moment. I'm um, yeah, but just just keep an eye out. Yeah, keep an eye out. Cool, man. Cool. Okay. Once again, big shout out to the Patreons. Thanks for continuing your support of the podcast. Uh, if you're looking for tickets for the live show that we're doing in February, do keep it locked to funk-27.co.uk. I'm going to pop the ticket link on there after it's gone out to the Patreons on the private message group. Um, that's it from me. I'll be back next Wednesday for a solo show. Thanks very much. We outie.